1: Welcome, students, teachers, vice principals, guidance counselors, football coaches. Oh, and an extra special shout out to you future TV detectives out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session, and we have some homework to chat about.
2: This was your assignment, and I
1: would like to see the results. First things first, the homework you have every week until you do it. That's to hit that subscribe button, whether it be on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening right now. And of course, you can check out our archive, as well as so many other great pop culture shows at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And wherever it allows, please give us a five-star rating and perhaps a positive review. But remember, the best way that you can help High School Slumber Party is by telling a friend about all the wonder, magic, and love that happens here on a bi-weekly basis, at least for now. (laughs) And thank you so much for joining today. I hope you did your homework of listening to Monday's episode That's right. We talked an interesting one. We talked a fun one. We talked sky high. Dan the Duke Hayden was our guest. And that was a really fun episode. And the more I think about it, I should have given it a better grade. I don't know why I gave it such a low grade. It's a fun movie. And wow, you slumberers out there. You really like this movie. If you have nostalgia for it, you seem to have, you know, good memories. And there are also the adults in the world who are like, wow, this movie is a great satire. Not that we hated it, but I kind of want to give it another shot. Anyway, listen to our episode on Sky High and let me know what you think. I also hope you did your homework for today, because it's probably a film that you haven't seen before. It's called Pretty Maids All in a Row, and of course, the great Galen Howard has brought it to us. He always brings us some weird movies, but we always have great chats about them. So looking forward to you guys listening to that one. Hope you did, again, your homework on it, because... You're going to be lost if you didn't do your homework. It's just going to sound like another weird, weird episode. Do your homework. I stress that. Can't stress it enough. So we're going to do something that we haven't done in a number of weeks now. We're going to reach out to our high school movie news correspondent, Brian Rodriguez, and see if he has any news for us. So without further ado, here's high school movie news. This is Brian Rodriguez, correspondent for High School Movie News, and I have no idea why I'm doing an accent and what country it's from, so I will stop, but <laughs> great to be back here. Thanks, Brian, so much for letting me be a part of the show and bring you some high school movie news. Not going to bore you with a lot of stuff today. We're not going to catch up on everything. Maybe we'll do that next week, but a couple important notes this week, that's for sure. You know we're always on a hunt here at the high school movie news desk to find Brian some good high school Christmas movies as teen Christmas movies hardly exist. They're few and far between. We'll cover some of them here, that's for sure. But, I don't know. Every year I get excited. Last year we got Let It Snow, so I thought on Netflix that we would get one. This year, unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to get a Netflix Christmas teen film. I got excited, though. I don't know if you guys saw the trailer for something called Dash and Lily, which is Christmas, teen. I was like, yes, a movie. Nope, it's a series, and I'm all for it, right? Let's do more series. Let's do more teen series, except we don't cover them here in High School Slumber Party. That would just take up too much time. So if you guys out there watch Dash and Lily, let me know. Looks cute. Maybe I'll check it out. Maybe when I'm more in the festive mood, that's for sure. Second bit of news, also Netflix related, there's a Ryan Murphy film coming out on Netflix that apparently is a high school film. Well, it's called The Prom, it better be. Watch the trailer, not sure how I feel about it yet, but we're definitely going to cover it this December. Can't wait for that. Look out for The Prom, and if you guys watch it before we cover it, let us know what you think. Remember, you can let us know your opinions on social media, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can email us, and you know the address party at gmail.com. That's highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com. One more bit of news, an important bit of news. I'm sure you all saw this, and I definitely wanted to uh, share it here if you didn't. Um, of course, Juno Star, formerly known as Ellen Page, has come out trans and has announced to the world that his name, is Elliot Page, and we will respect Elliot Page on this show by remembering his name, calling his name, and just thanking him for being so proud. It's not an easy choice. And if you want to be like, oh, how's that not an easy choice? This is a rich and famous person. Well, just look at social media and look at some of the disgusting comments that people put. And you know who you are, okay, if you're listening. Look, if you don't get it, you don't get it, all right? And get a life if you don't get it. That's as as simple as that. You don't need to comment and be nasty about it. Let people live their own lives. It doesn't matter. If you don't understand, that's because you're not trans. Like I said, you don't get it. It just annoys me to no end when people have to be trolls out there and butt into other people's business. I don't like to get political here, but to me, this is not a political issue. Not a political issue at all. Just live and let live, people. Live and let live We salute Elliot Page on this podcast because Elliot Page is one of the great actors in teen history. did not make the Hall of Fame, much to the godfather Joey Lewandowski's chagrin, but probably deserved it for that role because that was an iconic role, an iconic performance. So on this show, we salute Elliot Page. And look, I don't know what to tell you guys, again, who don't understand. I'm probably not the one who can explain it, but I'll say it one more time. Live and let live. And on that note, this has been another segment of High School Movie News. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and you stay classy, San Diego. Ooh, I gotta think of an original one. Sorry about that. Thank you, Brian Rodriguez, for that great segment, as always. And don't forget, Ellen Page, also the star of one of my favorite films that we've done on this podcast, Whip It. Check out Whip It if you haven't seen that. And check out the episode on Whippet, wherever you get your podcasts. Or, of course, at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. But it does mean that I've kept you a little too long today. So you know what? Pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's. Because we're about to get our party on. Oh, oh, oh! Before I forget, my cousin, Michael Conrad Tavares, who was on our episode for Vampires vs. the Bronx... You heard all about his business there. Of course, it is a Dominican street food business there in Dallas. So if you're in the Dallas area, check it out. But he was on Foodie Films with the Foodie Films man himself, Kyle Reinfried. Check that episode out wherever you get your podcasts. And also, I was once again on Third Times a Charm with Mike Manzi, and I talked a real New York film. Check that out as well wherever you get your podcasts or at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And let me leave you with a song that begins and ends the film, and frankly, it might begin and end this episode. It is called "Chilly Winds by the Osmonds, believe it or not. And by the way, High School Slumber Party does not condone teachers sleeping with their students. It's wrong and disgusting. This film is just silly and ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. It should be taken as such. It should be taken at a number 11. Okay? So, I don't want any of that out there either. I don't approve anything that happens in this film. It doesn't mean it's not enjoyable and crazy. Class dismissed.
3: Chilly winds may blow. Chilly winds, they come, they go. Chilly winds may blow. And I don't know Chilly winds may blow Chilly winds they come and they go Chilly winds Galen, may blow welcome back oh, you brought me
1: another interesting one so I certainly
0: I have
1: this time, yes. I can't wait to talk about it.
0: <laughs> me too.
1: So let's get introductions out of the way. Do you remember how to introduce yourself on High School Slumber Party?
0: Um. Yes. Galen Howard, uh, class of 2001, go Knights. Uh, at, oh, yes, Natomas Charter School.
1: Yes, yes. I even yes. forgot at that time, so <laughs> thanks yes. for reminding me. I mean, you've brought us some very interesting movies, Society. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> nowhere
0: and then what was, and then what was it on the edge over the over, edge. The, over, edge. The, over edge. the edge yes
1: which which was certainly influential but that might have been like your most normal film that you've brought to us
0: yes absolutely
1: <laughs> and today we're talking kind of an early one for high school slumber party not our uh-huh. oldest but This is what attracted me about it when you uh, gave me a list of films you were interested in. Yeah. The fact that this was 1971, we don't have a lot of early 70s films on here. So I said, great, let's do it. I didn't know anything about it. The film's (laughs) pretty pretty maids all in a row. A quick Google search and a Wikipedia search, I was like, Mm -hmm. wow, this is going to be interesting. So um, why Pretty Maids all in a row?
0: Well, it's such a a curio. Just if you look at the credits, you look at Roger Vadim, his first American production. He had done Barbarella before that. um, And he has a reputation for the time, very sexually explicit. You know, they were viewed at the time as being very trashy films. And of course, a lot of his films are much more tame by modern standards. But this one just has a has just a brightness to it in contrast to the darkness it also has an adapted script by of all people gene roddenberry you have um (laughs) you have rock hudson in in a in a role that very very much satirizes his sort of reputation at the time angie dickinson never looking more more attractive more salacious there's just everything about it is it's just this kind of It's this great kind of stew of just weirdness, but also just there's a real just kind of quality to it there's kind of a winking at the camera um from the beginning the the dialogue is very exaggerated but there's a realness to it at the same time it achieves so much you know i think and and is very much a film that doesn't get talked about enough
1: no definitely not <laughs> it's just a fascinating film you yes. can watch it from a lot of different perspectives i agree but just genre wise when like i looked it up on amazon it said something along the lines of like thriller mystery, comedy. I would put
0: comedy at the forefront. I mean, very dark comedy.
1: Like, I think it depends how you read it, right? Yeah. To be honest with you, I think you're right, because I think the best way to read it is comedy, because if you don't, this is a fucked up movie. (laughs) It's it's (laughs)
0: incredibly dark, but the darkness of it is generally presented in a very light way. I mean, there's a way in which it begins very breezy, very light, and then it has that contrast, that, that wonderful contrast of, of that sort of travelogue following the main character who's named, of of all things, Ponce de Leon. Yes. And, yeah, on his travelogue on the way to school on his little little moped scooter, and then immediately once he pops up into high school, we just get this quick cut of tits and ass, which was just (laughs) fantastic, because it just so much captures the high school experience. You're still a kid. Everything is still very innocent, but the moment you step into high school... That's immediately where your brain goes. H-
1: had you seen this film before?
0: It had been on my list for a long time. It was always one of those like kind of curiosity bucket list films. So I was always like, oh, I really want to check this film out. So this was a, it was an excuse for me to finally be able to check this off the list. And boy, what a treat.
1: <laughs> I don't want to miss this part because I'm pretty sure, as I'm sure you're pretty sure about this, that yes. not a lot of people have seen or or maybe heard of this film. So I think a, a back of the VHS summary is necessary. Yes. Oh, definitely. So here it goes. They're cute. They're peppy. And they're dropping like flies. As one pretty young girl after another is found murdered. It becomes increasingly obvious that something is seriously amiss at oceanfront high, but who could possibly be behind these heinous crimes? It could only be a demented psychopath says oceanfront's most popular instructor, tiger i love this name tiger mcdrew a man with a degree in psychology a background in karate and a hand down every blouse on campus but the identity (laughs) of the (laughs) but the identity of the killer is not the only mystery plaguing the students and staff at oceanfront there are other more pressing questions will the murders cause the big football game to be canceled will the adorable team manager what Okay. Will the adorable team manager finally lose his virginity? Adorable. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting word for him. Okay. <laughs> and will Tiger still be able to perform his unique brand of hands-on guidance counseling?
0: <laughs> okay, that writer seemed to have been enjoying himself a little too much. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, one, I don't want to say problem I have with this film, but okay. I could see I could see a problem that people had at the time. So I didn't read any summaries, I just... Because I post photos on our Instagram and Facebook and stuff, I just was getting, like, um, I guess the advertisement photos and using those. None of those ever indicate that this is anything but, like, a... Almost like a Corman-esque sex romp film.
0: It's a sex romp film, yeah, exactly,
1: yeah. And I was like, wait, a murder? Like, is this? And the murder happens pretty fast. Mm-hmm. You know, spoiler: this movie got terrible reviews.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Roger Ebert hated it. Uh, said it <laughs> called it embarrassing.
1: I imagine though, a lot of people into the theaters just thinking, you know, tits and ass. And mm-hmm. yes, there's a lot of that here. But there's something else going on that we're going to discuss. And of course, there's a murder mystery and an investigation. And yes, it gets super interesting and just different than what i expected i'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing right i think in 71 if you see this poster and guys i post the posters online look at the posters and tell me does this look like a murder film to you (laughs) because probably not i assume a lot of people went in thinking oh simple fun and not that it's not fun it's very fun you know in that kind of respect but it's just so different
0: yeah it's very different. Yeah. And I could definitely see that people weren't ready for a film like this, a film that really abruptly blends genre together. And, you know, because those opening scenes, even when you get that sort of, from his point of view of looking at, of ogling all the women, there's a lightness to it. Then when, when you have like the investigation scenes, you know, you have a very, very stark lighting, the music tempo changes. I mean, so the, the transitions are very, are I mean, obviously intentionally very abrupt and very off-putting in that
1: way. For sure. And the one thing I wanted to note is, as I was watching it, I'm like, did Galen pick this because this is like a Tarantino influence? I just thought that because it looked like it would be a Tarantino influence. And he says this is one of the top ten Best films of all time.
0: Yes, I know it's in, in his top ten list. It makes sense. I mean, it makes sense
1: that totally. That, that,
0: yeah, I, I remember Tarantino. Uh, he catered a whole a whole line of films before Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood came out last year, and at his theater the um, the New Beverly, and he was. Showing a lot of films that, that were really reflective of the style of that film. And I'm pretty sure this was in there, which makes complete sense because you definitely see the, the style of editing, the kind of the tone, the tonality of it, the dialogue, the way that the dialogue is both very self-conscious, but also very natural.
1: Yeah, I don't know if this was like on purpose or accidentally like that like i'm still unsure because when you read the production notes yeah it seems like they almost stumbled on this but if you watch this movie in almost a tarantino lens Mm -hmm. you get it i think if you just drop in and try to like oh yeah digest the movie for literally what you're seeing and what's happening you might not be a fan but early on i kind of picked up on this tarantino lens and and i was having a blast i get how some people might be offended by certain things but Again, I think you just have to have a certain point of view with looking at this film. Like, I think if I just dropped my mother into watching this film, <laughs> she, she might not, you know, get it. I don't want to sound like a snob like that. I do think certain movies take a different lens or a different... I was just talking about this the other day. There's, so, there's certain movies that I watched the first time just really analytically and hated. And then the second mm-hmm. time... Just, like, once I knew everything was happening, watched it, and they became my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. I don't believe that, like, what some people say, like, oh, you should go into every movie cold turkey. Like, yeah, I mean, I think, again, with a certain lens, this movie could be great. Yeah. I think this is definitely a film that you could watch a first
0: time and hate it and then go back to it and, and be like, oh, this is what this film is. And that's kind of a treat. That's kind of, there's something great about being like, oh, I the the film i saw originally wasn't the film that that it really is you know you come in with a different with a different lens and once you adjust it you know you have a completely different experience
1: for sure it has a little bit of a weird production history yes. it was originally Oh, well, it's originally a novel, which is out of print and very hard to find, apparently.
0: That's a shame. I'd love to read the novel, yeah.
1: It wasn't a particular popular novel. Yeah,
0: no, it's just, it's interesting. I'd be curious what what that transition was from novel to screen. If the satirical element, how that was translated. I
1: have no idea, because, like, Gene Roddenberry, and we're going to talk about him a lot today, but he apparently, like, I found a quote somewhere where he said he, like, hated the novel. He thought it was, like, trashy, full of smut. Like, just not good. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting take for then what you eventually gave us.
0: Yeah. But, but, I, but I think he's also said that that the film itself is very different from what he originally wrote.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's true, too. So that's an interesting...
0: Yeah. So it starts kind of, kind of trashy and smutty, and then I could see him kind of trying to... And trying to gloss over some of that. And then, of course, Roger Vadim, who is viewed at the time as a trash filmmaker, probably goes back and trashes it up again.
1: (laughs) Probably. I mean, it's very possible. And Gene Rodenberry got attached to it because... Originally, they had uh, James P. Harris as the director. Yes.
0: He only had, like, one credit to his name at that point.
1: Yeah, in terms of directing, but he's a guy who worked with Kubrick a lot.
0: Yeah, he was a producer on on his early films, like The Killing, and yeah.
1: And uh, Joe Namath was supposed to play the lead. Probably not a good look for Broadway Joe, to be honest with you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that
0: probably wouldn't have bode bode well for him. Yeah, I think, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that would be interesting.
1: I, I laughed when I read that note because, like, that's, like, tarantino casting like almost oh yes if, if there was a movie based on the movie like he loves to do so much it would have like this star playboy football player in this lead
0: he's actually a big fan of one of joe Namus' movies cc and company
1: oh i mean that makes so much sense
0: right yeah
1: <laughs> eventually the studio kind of convinced gene Roddenberry to take on this project if we haven't mentioned it i guess we should that of course he is the star trek creator and, right. you know, the brains behind Star Trek. And I was reading a lot about this film from uh, Star Trek, I guess. I don't want to call them fa- yes, fans, but uh, scholars' perspective. Most people who've seen this film have seen it from that perspective. Like, oh, this Gene Rodenberry did this? You know, this right. film might have been lost if it wasn't for his attachment? Because obviously, uh, I mean, are you a big Star Trek guy?
0: I was growing up, definitely. I, I was a little more, I was a little more latter day. I grew up with like Next Generation mm-hmm. and the, the, yeah, the later iterations. De- I definitely dipped into quite a bit of Star Trek early on. How about you?
1: For me, not really. Obviously, I'm very familiar with it just because, just from yeah. living in, you know, pop culture and existing. I, obviously, I know, I know him and I know you know, the bullet points, but I couldn't tell you, oh, this episode, this happened with this character, you know? nothing. Right.
0: Like that. Yeah, I, I certainly don't have an encyclopedic knowledge, but I, I dipped in a little bit, enough to get a general sense.
1: But as you and I both know, like, there are people who do have that kind of knowledge, and, do like, it's one of the most, like, researched th- things to ever be on TV and film, I would say. Absolutely, yeah. Most scholarship about this film is from that perspective. So there's a lot on him. And I don't think Star Trek yeah. fans are too positive when it comes to this film.
0: Well, yeah, they're not the they're generally not the intended audience.
1: <laughs> no, no, exactly. Right. From what I read, he never really thought that like he was going to be making Star Trek again, you know? Like so he's not trying to appeal to the Star Trek fans here. He's just trying to kind of yeah. make a movie.
0: That's what we forget is that there was that 10-year gap between when Star Trek went off the air that it the Trekkies didn't really latch onto it until the, until later on in the seventies. That's when the, the film series began and the other iterations on television.
1: Absolutely. And the, that 10 year period is when he's kind of just trying. Um, he has a couple pilots. He's a couple yep. of things here and there. So he's just trying to like make it in Hollywood, not make it. He's obviously. But he's,
0: it, but... yeah, he's continuing his career. It's like anyone. It's like, okay, that's, That's over. And in his mind, that's over. And it's, okay, what's next? And so he tries a lot of things, this being one of them.
1: Absolutely. So they had him rewrite the script and kind of just put together the movie. Something that I found really fascinating that I didn't know about him because, I mean, I knew of him. I knew his like TV history, but I didn't know his personal life. That he was quite the uh, womanizer, (laughs) if we want (laughs) to use that word. He was married at the time, and you know he had affairs on Star Trek, which are well documented. Oh wow! I I only mention them because normally I don't get into a director's personal life, but Galen, you could probably figure out why I'm mentioning them. (laughs) Well,
0: sure. I mean, as it relates to this, and also he, it it certainly gives him a commonality with the director Roger Vadim.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Who was again? It was very much cut from the same cloth he had just at the time just been divorced from uh, jane fonda he had been with bridget Bardot before that
1: yeah and famously both of them would use the person they were currently sleeping with in their films or you know television shows or whatever they they both had that reputation which it was completely fascinating director signed on he said one of his requests is that jane fonda not be in this film yes Which is funny.
0: (laughs) Yes. Though I I guess apparently I read somewhere that it was offered to Bridget Bardot the Angie Dickinson role.
1: Apparently, yes, yes, that is true.
0: that's interesting, yeah. Which is,
1: again, fascinating, but this is, again, late 60s, early 70s vibe. At the time, or like around the time, we'll say, he's married, and he pretty much has two well-known girlfriends who know each other. Like, this is... This is paralleling uh, Rock Hudson's character here so much. So, again, I'm also fascinated to see in the book what, you know, how similar that character is. Yeah. Because I get a sense that maybe he was... Now, I I think the director takes it in a different direction, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But I get a sense that he was almost trying to normalize that behavior, if that makes sense, you know? Mm -hmm. That's why I say, I don't know if this is accidentally good or, or good. I don't know if, like, you know, in the in that almost Tarantino lens, it comes off as such satire and so, and so over the top in such, like, a cool way. Yes. Who knows if that was the intention or not, is my point. This is stuff he actually believed in and talked about.
0: And a lot of the satirical elements are very much come from the way that it's filmed and the way that it's directed. So, I mean, I wonder, mm-hmm. again, how much of that satire was intended in, G- in Gene Roddenberry's script originally. I mean, I think definitely a, a definitely a fair bit as far as some of the dialogue and that sort of thing. But I mean, it's it's definitely taken even, in an even further direction under the helm of Vadim.
1: As we talk this out, I'm really thinking it's more Vadim's work that we're admiring. No, this is no yeah. slight to Gene Roddenberry. I think no. the marriage just is like perfect of it because you mm-hmm. have someone who's maybe taking it a little bit more not again! I don't want to call Star Trek like super serious. Obviously, there's campy and funny moments in that as well. Yes. But you're right; like the language of the film totally comes from the the colors and the cuts and all, and then you know the cues and stuff. So, yes,
0: the visual cues. Yeah,
1: I've been talking about this movie with friends this week because mm-hmm. this is one of these things that uh, I mentioned this also on a podcast recently. Like they always say the elevator pitch. Like, what's the elevator pitch for this film? <laughs> But, like, to me, it's not so much an elevator pitch for the film. It's an elevator pitch to watch the film. And, yeah, that comes from, like, the you know Gene Roddenberry and Vadim and stuff. But also, as you mentioned at the top, this cast, I was like, oh, my God. I, you know, I got so excited with this cast. Yeah. You know, we'll start with our lead here, Rock Hudson as Tiger McDrew. Like I said, <laughs> love the name. And- I love all of
0: the names. All of the names in this are great. I mean, there's a You're there's right. a wink behind every name. There has to have been a little bit of satire from the beginning because so much of that is, it's it's just fantastic. I mean, and uh, that that can't be a mistake, you know?
1: No, for sure, for sure. This is another thing that I said that I think again is is something that is like it's accidentally makes the film better. Now, the fact that you have Rock Hudson who. You know, obviously we find out later he's gay. Unfortunately, one of the first celebrity casualties of AIDS. Yes. And, uh, but, but then we also know, as you mentioned, he played these, I don't know, I don't know what we want to call these characters that he used to play, but certainly... Kind of like,
0: rakish heartthrobs.
1: Yes, yes. You know, very good-looking guy, obviously. And yes, it's a parody of that. But when you watch it now, too... Knowing that he was like a closeted gay man in Hollywood, and just how over the top it is too, it just—I yeah. I hate to say it again—it just feels so Tarantino that it would be mm-hmm. Rock Hudson.
0: <laughs> the, yeah, the irony of it. I, apparently, they—I don't know if this was formulated by by press or th- or things like that, because if they, he was always being you know touted as this as a ladies' man, in, you know, in his in his private life as well, and of course that was not the case, but you know, there were. There were rumors substantiated that he was sleeping with all of his co-stars on set and all of the student, all of the student actresses on set oh and that God. sort of thing. Yes. And of course, that could not be further from the truth. I <laughs> think the the one who played his wife, Barbara Lee, she recounts that he, you know, she was she was aware of his personal life and, and was and found it quite amusing that a lot of the, the actresses were kind of throwing themselves at him and flirting with him. <laughs> and of course no yeah he absolutely had no interest but found it amusing nonetheless
1: that's that's amazing to hear and like so again it just fits in this world yes we mentioned too angie dickinson who's just perfect in this you know really like her too and then of course like telly (laughs) savalis as a police like detective here like and i was like wait is this trying to copy kojak and then i looked up the year Like, kojak is like two years after this
0: yeah several years after yeah (laughs) so yeah it's perfect prophetic casting and he of course is it's very similar the character and his portrayal of it in this
1: and again that is to me something that in why this movie is probably better in 2020 because you know you're watching this in 1971 Maybe you know Telly Savalas. Maybe you don't, but you certainly don't know him as Kojak unless you can predict the future, right? But right. if you're watching this movie today, as that like, and you have that classic Kojak character in your mind, which is probably what he's most known for today, I would say,
0: hundred percent, hands
2: down. Yes, I said I was here working on my book at that time. Well, no offense, I hope no offense taken. It's your job. for test result control. Some students are more easily distracted than others. This might show up as low IQ or some defect which actually isn't present. Uh, the principal tells me that uh, he thinks this guidance counseling is responsible for the academic average here. Master's degree in psychology, it's quite impressive. And I understand that you've uh, turned down a couple of offers to teach at universities? Because I believe this is, as they say, where it's at. High schools are simply not reaching the student. For every college dropout, we lose 15 to 18 in high school, Captain. The records on the dead girl, anything in there that might be of help to us? I think Jill fooled a lot of people. Not particularly intelligent, IQ 103. She seemed more intelligent because she adapted so well to high school level activities. Quite beautiful, though. Yes, extraordinary figure. Excellent dancer, baton twirler. What kind of men uh, would a girl like this be attracted to, Tiger? Well, let me see. I'd say it's not impossible she had marriage in mind. As a psychologist, uh, any comment on the note that was found on her uh, on her body? Out of my line.
0: Disturbed personality, obviously.
1: It's so much better. It enhances it. You're like, oh my it's God. It's so Kojak much Jackson. fun.
0: It, 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 yeah, it's just like, oh, here comes Kojak.
1: It's great. Yeah. And then I know this is like a big IMDb note, but I, I mm-hmm. noticed it as well while watching that uh, the three leads here are all go on to like star in like some of the best 70s cop shows and again the 70s mm-hmm. was like the golden age for a particular type of cop show uh rock hudson with McMillan and wife yes. uh angie dickinson with policewoman and of course as we mentioned telly savallas with kojak yeah oh
0: that's such an interesting point yeah it's <laughs> right and, and yeah they all gravitate toward that particular genre
1: i keep bringing them up but like that's something too that you see a lot of uh, at least parody of or even just inspiration of in, in tarantino's films as well that kind of seventies TV. So I don't know. It just, it just. I, I love the and stuff well, that's And, and he,
0: and he's, he's, he loves that kind of thing of, of taking taking a familiar character and putting them in a role that 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 has a nod to their to their previous history and that sort of thing as a as a nod to their legacy this kind of film works almost in reverse of that where it kind of predates some of that
1: yeah again it was so weird <laughs> but great i know
0: yeah watching it from that lens it, it makes it all the more enjoyable
1: and then like another uh person i definitely want to bring up that i was so happy was in this film is roddy mcdowell as the yes. principal
0: yeah <laughs> absolutely oh yeah and yeah he's one of my favorites he's one i've discovered recently i know he's been in um he's been at least a, a a couple films you you've, you've talked about at least i know a, nine, a class of 1984 yeah
1: class of 1984 yeah he's you know he's great uh mike manzi who we were of course on the uh nowhere episode with is a huge fan of roddy mcdowell yeah but also just when you think of that star trek connection planet of the apes like there's there's something happening here that's cool also it says james duhan who plays scotty in star trek is in this but i have no idea who he is
0: is one of um of telly savalas's um yes associates
1: yeah, I totally forgot about that. Like,
0: I yes, one of the inspectors, one of the inspector associates.
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I know there was a lot of uh, Star Trek crew members as well involved.
0: Well, that would make sense. Ron Berry was a producer as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally makes sense there. Uh, anyone else in the cast that you want to bring up?
0: The lead actor, who who again was someone, oh, someone I had never seen before. Um, this is really one of his few like lead roles, and probably his most probably his most most prominent. His name's uh, John David Carson. Uh, plays uh, Ponce de Leon Harper, and he has that that perfect kind of clean cut '70s look. It's funny, you know, because that opening that opening song in the credits is from the Osmonds and (laughs) which is, I
1: was like, what? When I looked it up, I'm like, wait, the Osmonds like approved a song for this film.
0: I think they wrote it for the film. If I'm correct. Insane.
1: Insane.
0: Yeah. I think they performed it for the film specifically. And I know it's nuts. And uh, one, but he has that kind of, that sort of clean cut seventies, seventies look. He looks like he could have been on like the Partridge family.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, uh, he, obviously, we were mentioning Tarantino left and right here, but it also he reminded me of someone that, like, P.T. Anderson would cast as well, like a Boogie Nights kind of thing.
0: Yeah, a little bit like that, or someone out of, like, um, Almost Famous yeah, yeah, that kind of look. Yeah, that, yeah, again, of the time, but there's a little bit of an innocence to his character, a little bit of a... Kind of just bushwhacked by everything around him, just a little, kind of a little dazed by everything.
1: You've probably had more interaction with casting directors than I have, but Mm. isn't it so interesting that like certain eras and certain decades, like physical looks, were kind of just different in terms of what they were looking for in casting? Like, if you close your eyes right now and you say "innocent kid from the '70s," looks like this kid, right? But "innocent kid from the '80s" doesn't look like that. No, is, you know what I mean, and this kid from the '90s probably doesn't look like that. It's just weird that like you can't, you know, it's it's something out of people's control a little bit.
0: Well, yeah, it becomes this kind of zeitgeist of of certain trends, and then and then immediately what the public comes to comes to associate with those things, with those qualities, and as times change, it's like those things gradually change, and it's that kind of anthropological point of view is always fascinating to me. Of like, what are the certain things that that kind of usher in those changes, those changes of kind of that worldly perspective of just where every, again, like, as you say, like, this is what passes for innocent. This is what we associate with this at this time, given what's, given the time we're in.
1: I think one of the best places to uh, see that in from the complete physical level is probably like, like Playboy magazine, right? If you look at all the centerfolds, they're so, like, different in terms of yeah. what people thought was like hot and i i've playboy on the mind because i guess april 1971 the playboy had a huge feature on this film that's right it had a lot of the high school girls you know so it's <laughs> weird saying that now yeah and the director uh wrote a whole piece in there for it and i, I actually ended up I didn't, I, don't, I didn't get it in the mail in time because I just ordered it uh, yesterday, but I actually like got that magazine on eBay because I was curious for a couple of Oh, wow. Reasons. Oh, cool. Hopefully by the time I get it, maybe, oh, I'm not going to post some pics that are going to get me banned from Instagram or anything like that, but no, I'll no, no, no. try to post something. I found it fascinating because that magazine costs more money than other issues, and I was like, Why? Uh, It can't be because of this film. This film's pretty obscure. But that issue has a very, very ironically with Rock Hudson, that's kind of why I bring it up, has a very big and influential article. And Playboy, which you know how everyone joked around, uh, listeners out there were like, oh, I read it for the articles. In the (laughs) 70s, yes, there were naked ladies in there and people did read it for that. But it was considered one of the preeminent, it was almost like the New Yorker in terms of the prestige mm-hmm. articles, which is crazy oh, yeah. to think about. But it's oh true. yeah, you had people like Norman
0: Mailer and Gore Vidal and classic you know, writers, you know, highly regarded writers of the time, writing for it.
1: Absolutely, and it has this famous uh, almost symposium. They bring like together like six minds on. What is Homosexuality? Right. And it's just a very famous piece in, like, not just, you know, queer culture, but just, like, American culture just confronting Oh, interesting. So, I mean, look, it was only, like, 12 bucks, but as opposed to, like, $3 for a lot of other old Playboys. Mm -hmm. So I was very curious to read that as well. Well,
0: well, that's that's interesting. And especially, yeah, that one of the articles took that approach, took that lens, especially, you know, with what we know about Rock Hudson.
1: Yeah, so it's just interesting, interesting time to be alive. Again, Absolutely, retrospectively even more. (laughs) Yeah. So like the pretty maids, you know, which are like the high school girls, they weren't weren't like well-known actresses or anything like that. Obviously very pretty women that they mm-hmm. put in here. Sybil Shepherd was actually offered a role here and she declined. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. It would have been her first starring role. Oh,
0: that's interesting. Yeah. Cause that's the same year that she did um, last picture show.
1: Yeah. Which is like the other film that we've done this year. Mm-hmm. And the last picture show ends up doing very well at the Oscars. Uh, the producers originally had Oscar hopes for this film, which is interesting. Interesting. Yeah, uh, didn't end up happening, obviously. Didn't do particularly well, but apparently that's what they wanted. One other thing I want to mention about The Pretty Maids, it also mm-hmm. does highlight like this thing that people just love to ignore now, but was so prevalent. I'll say even up until the 90s, but the sexualization of teenagers. It existed. Yeah. It was a thing. I don't ignore it here Because I cover so many movies that, again, even like, you know, all the way up to American Pie, it's happening. But especially in the 70s, like, you would just joke around about, I mean, not, again, not you or I, because obviously we weren't there, but guys in the 70s would joke around about getting it with high school girls and like now you say that you're going to look at your friend pretty weird and say he probably needs help you know
0: that's right yeah that's like a yeah, pretty perverse predilection there but yeah but from this lens I and mean, again it, like as we were saying it's there's this kind of is this kind of brightness and cheeriness to it, of just down to like the demeanor of Rock Hudson and just very cheerfully, just you know, betting woman after woman, these different high school students,
1: you know. And I just want to make it clear that like it's never played here like, yes, it's it's bad what he's doing, but it's all it's more like bad because, and the, at least the movie's showing it like he's married yeah. and he, yes, he's he's in a position of power and he's kind of abusing his. Not kind of, he is abusing his role. Yes. But it's never like, oh, and these are underage women as well. Like, that just wasn't a thought back then for, for whatever reason. I, I don't know why. Right. I, I can't tell you. Yeah, I, it's
0: so interesting. Well, I, I think um, as our society has evolved and, you know, because a lot of it becomes of the, you know, you're looking into the maturity and their, and their ability to to reason in that situation their, their ability to make um to make decisions for themselves and and that sort of thing both men and women and i think and i think that's not really at the time wasn't really something that was taken into account at a certain point you know you once someone is recognized as women and their sexuality is you know becomes um becomes emphasized in that way yeah
1: oh absolutely um and then just like kind of related to that the women in this film yes they're are objectified for sure obviously but the there yeah sorry it's kind of complicated to say is he is he taking advantage of them of course because of his position but he's never really tricking them if that makes sense they're all very sexually progressive again i know this is written by a man and, and he's creating these these characters but it's never like they're victims because they get murdered, but not because of the sexual part. In a sense, it's just. I mean, a- I, I'm I'm talking a lot because I'm covering my tracks, but you know what I mean.
0: Yes, I mean, of course, of course. As a person in authority, he's behaving extremely oh, yes. irresponsibly. Just just uh, just as far as his um sexual behavior alone the murder part notwithstanding uh, but um (laughs) but yes you know he is someone who is desired by, by clearly desired by the students by the by the girls on campus they're they're continually you know going into his um into his office they're you know so so yeah there's there's not a kind of thing there's no there's no kind of obvious predatorial uh, position he's that he's taking.
1: Yeah, yeah. And again, we know right, like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, we could pretty much, well, it says it anyway in the synopsis, but we could pretty much figure it out right away that he's the killer. You know, I don't think it's like a, a too big of a mystery. Maybe the movie was trying to do that. Maybe, maybe it's not. I don't know. But the movie, yeah. like, it's not like we see him murder early on or anything like that. He's just this kind of womanizing playboy uh, guidance counselor, as weird as that sentence is.
0: Right. But yeah, ex- exactly. He's the one that's, that's clearly in that position. He's obviously, you know, someone who is involved in salacious behavior. There's really no... The film doesn't set up any red herrings. It doesn't say like, well, this could be the this could be the culprit this could be the murderer it's basically just like that you pretty much it focuses on his behavior he's the one doing things that are incredibly out of line it's like well yeah that kind of falls suit
1: just one more thing on the pretty maids yeah this i credit to gene ruddenberry because mm-hmm. like, you see it so much in star trek but for 1971 a pretty diverse group hmm
0: i was gonna say that too absolutely yeah you you have a uh, Brenda Sykes, who plays Pamela. She's a black student. And then Amy Eccles is a she's she's Asian-American. and She plays the character Hilda.
1: Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, again, it's not something you, you saw it on Star Trek. You saw it in a couple places. But that's right. Recently, we did like a Hall of Fame uh, thing here on High School Slumber Party in terms of like actors and filmmakers. I know, Galen, you voted. I appreciate that. Yeah, but when I was putting the ballot together, I was like, "Wow, ninety percent of these people are white." Mm-hmm. It's the history of film, but it's in particular kind of the history of teen films. So it, this was, you know, refreshing to see because you'll go movies even five years ago where there's not a single person of color in the cast mm-hmm. for no reason. So I mean, I, I know it's a little win here because of, of like what's going on, but it's a win nonetheless. Right.
0: Absolutely. Well, and and again, they all of them have have very you know kind of dynamic personalities. The film definitely emphasizes that kind of sexual forwardness, and so they all kind of embody that in their own way. Um, I know the the character of of Hilda has a great line when she's talking to Telly Savalas's character, uh, Sam Searcher, and says. She just kind of sums everything up. She really sums up the film where she just says very offhandedly, "Our generation's not afraid of feeling affection." Yeah, that line really stood out to me. And like, yeah, like giving it, giving characters lines like that, giving characters you know observations like that. These are generally you know obviously intelligent people.
1: Exactly, and that's why. Yes, again, I'm not going to say this movie doesn't objectify. It certainly does. That's what like put it on a different level for me in terms of like yeah. they're they're people.
0: Absolutely, and I think. Again, this is. Oh, there, there is a lot of covering tracks here. Yeah, I'm trying to be careful about this, but I do. There, I feel like there is a way because they give a dimensionality the characters. I feel like those characters are have a kind of agency in their objectification. If that makes sense.
1: No, it does. I mean, again, I think it makes sense if you see the movie. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, it does. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's. Yeah, it's not like they're being objectified. As like, well, yes, they are being objectified, but they're in on it. They're like, yes, I, yes, this is the role that I'm playing, and this is what I get out of it.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, let's talk some, about some scenes or some of your favorite moments that happened here, especially early on. You know, mm-hmm. you, mentioned, you mentioned kind of the, the opening and, like, the pre-murder stuff. It's this kid and all he's seeing is just, like, girls and... And tunics, yes. you know, and I think you're right. Like that is again a perspective of a high school male. Like we usually don't see it like depicted this way. And again, I know it's taken to volume eleven here, but yes, it is. <laughs> I guess. What would you think of uh, this whole opening uh, up until and, and including the the first uh, murder?
0: Again, it's so it's so pronounced. The you know the, those fa- the fast cuts, the that whole opening sequence of him the contrast of him, of him being on the bike and, you know, this, this sort of very, very cheery kind of travelogue scene. And then um, with an immediate cut to this smattering of, of from his perspective, seeing girls breasts and looking at, and looking at their rears and, you know, all of that. And it's just that, that, that sudden, and again, it's, it is very much the high school experience. You maintain a certain level of innocence, uh, uh, you know, outside, at least from from a certain perspective, like a parental perspective or something. But then, as soon as you're among your peers, everything is sexualized. The way they did that was was really well done. And then, you know, from the beginning, he's cuts to him in class, and he's he's very much infatuated as he is with with all women, but uh, with no exception his substitute teacher played by Angie Dickinson miss smith and so so again he's you know from the beginning looking at her he's he's very much overwhelmed and then he, he excuses himself he he does that a lot he has an issue that we that we come to address later he's Ooh. he's he's getting frequent inconvenient erections and that becomes an issue for him throughout and that kind of leads him to his discovery of the first murder
1: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, okay. I know we're laughing, but yes, someone gets murdered. And I know we don't always salute violence against women as a plot moving device here. But the way, again, when the investigation comes in, just the stuff they're saying about it happening, like, oh, but she got good grades. I don't understand. Right. She was a really good cheerleader, like stuff like that. The the way, like, you know, are we still going to play our football game? Like that is just, you know, I loved that kind of stuff.
0: Yes. I mean, that that definitely had a sort of um, there was an obvious satirical element that I think we see echoed in in other films. You know, I think like like Heather's and yes. films like that, I think this was definitely a, you know, an influence on films like that.
1: And uh, McDrew, Tiger McDrew, Tiger McDrew, the vice principal the guidance counselor and he's the football coach and he's right. kind of a big deal, you know, like everyone knows him. And whenever they uh run into him in school, even the cops, even uh telly Savalas's character, it's just like, Oh, you know, we're going to win this game or or how's that, how's that going?
0: He's a local celebrity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. At this like uh fictional high school. And uh what's his name? Uh, oh, Ponce. How can I keep forgetting his name? Uh, <laughs> Ponce de Leon is, <laughs> his, He's kind of like made fun of at the beginning, like, because he's just like the, oh, are you the water boy? But he's the team manager. But like, I guess in 1971 at this high school, Rock Hudson coaches all positions possible. And he's kind of also like an assistant coach. He's very much the, and later in the film, he even tells him in the plainest words possible. But he's pretty much uh, the protege here of, of Tiger McGrew.
0: Yeah, he's being groomed in a sense.
1: Absolutely. So when Tiger kind of takes him under his wing and takes him into his office and basically, how do they find it? Oh yeah, it's it's while they're doing kind of like an interrogation of him. It's revealed mm-hmm. that he's a virgin. And like, that's like, <laughs> I love how that's a bigger deal that, than someone getting murdered in their school to some <laughs> people there. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. And that's kind of the theme of this film where like sexuality is kind of emphasized over violence.
1: And yeah, because we don't actually see a lot of, Physical violence in this. We don't.
0: Film. We don't. We see the aftermath of it. We see we see a lead up to it. We see the immediate aftermath.
1: There's murder in this film. There's but there's no violence, which unless no, you there football. Isn't. No, there isn't. I I saw some people complain about the tone and I get it, but it's not like it's going. And again, I feel like Tarantino would actually do this, but it's not but it's not like it's going from like a violent murder to, oh, you're getting erections all the time. Right.
0: No, exactly. I mean, I I suppose, I mean, at the time, a depiction of a violent murder or a depiction of a a corpse being found or something like that would, you know, would
1: still would still be
0: upsetting to some people and so that's a good point you know i think at the time but i love how uh, just how the the murder is sort of there's i mean it's not like a zoom in on the corpse it's just it's very kind of nonchalant where he just he excuses himself, he kind of he hides himself in a bathroom, and then there's just a casual pan down where you see his legs kind of splayed out next to the obvious dead legs of a of the woman next to him. Yeah, the image is kind of it, it's kind of funny, but it, you know the, it just in how it's so nonchalantly displayed like that.
1: And this movie is like an hour and a half. And I think we go at least 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes without another murder. So this is not Mm -hmm. like, this is not like, again... I saw some places write like, "Oh, a serial killer is in this high school." You don't get that feel after this first murder, like you know.
0: Right. That's that, That's not the emphasis of it. There's there's not a necessarily a build of tension from that of like when's the next murder going to happen. It's like well, no, this, not at all. This happened, and like yeah, now that yeah, know this this kid can't control his erections. Let's let's figure let's figure that out.
1: <laughs> exactly, and you know he has kind of a heart to heart with with uh, Tiger, and he's pretty much summarizes like eventually that like, Oh, you should have, sex. you know, he doesn't say it directly to him, but, but in his head, he's like, Oh, this kid should have sex with the substitute teacher. This will, <laughs> this will cure all, yeah. all his ills.
0: Yeah. It's, it's just so interesting that way where, he, yeah. And he, and he approaches her directly about it and says like, yeah, why don't, why don't you, why don't you take care of that? You know, why don't you
1: help him out? Eddie uses his own like desirable, qualities because she's clearly into him like Angie Dickinson's clearly into him but yes. she, she kind of sets it up like eventually like, hey, you know if you have sex with him you might have a shot with me like he doesn't say it exactly, but like he teases yeah. her to a point and then he's like, well, oh. yes
0: because that whole scene is is beginning it's a it's a clear seduction
4: Well after Ponts left last night i uh, I had a miserable evening oh. He's a very attractive boy. And I just can't go through all that again.
2: I'm sure you're exaggerating, Miss Smith.
4: Tiger, I broke up with my boyfriend 13 months ago.
2: It's so easy to escape that kind of discomfort. I'm surprised you don't know the method. You don't, do you?
4: Method? No.
2: Well, let me demonstrate. Now, it's terribly important that you not think of affection. Are you at all familiar with this experiment?
4: No, no, can, I can't
2: say that. Well, it's a reverse on basic Masters and Johnson. The whole trick is to maintain an observer's point of view. Oh. Now, since you're treating these sensations as an interesting physical phenomenon, you'll notice it's impossible for me to excite you. <laughs> yes, I noticed. See? You see, sex is much more than just touch.
4: It certainly is.
2: Not that there isn't an art to touch. I mean, this can be quite pleasant
4: yes it could be pleasant
2: you are now responding to me intellectually analytically I am now notice the difference when emotion replaces analysis now let's try the same thing with affection are you ready
4: yes lock the door what lock the door You I need you. Oh, Tiger. Tiger.
2: There now. I'm sure you get the general idea.
4: Tiger?
2: Let's see. I believe I have some test schedule this period. With that body of yours, it was certainly difficult to remain analytical. Oh, hello, Pam. Be with you in a minute
4: uh could we uh, continue this uh discussion uh, later today?
2: Well, my schedule's pretty tight, Miss Smith. How about meeting after you've had an obsession with the
0: uh, with the student in question?
4: I think I hate you um
0: it's nice to see you well much <laughs> uh, yeah, and of uh, right, and of course it all goes uh, un- relatively under the radar no one no one thinks uh, no one no one thinks anything of it
1: no. Just, I'm just right. I'm just sorry. I'm laughing because I'm reading some of the lines. Oh, I know. Uh, when 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 he's having that heart to heart, like he's talking, like you know, he's 17 years old and he hasn't touched a woman's breast yet. <laughs> only cold only cold showers help. Uh, only, yes. And then he responds, "An animal body needs animal exercise." Like later when he's having that chat, like it's just these lines are just so over the top.
0: Right. I yeah. I mean, it's in. Well, it's interesting to you know to think of, of Gene Roddenberry writing those lines.
1: But then again, when you know his uh, personal life, it makes a little bit more sense. It
0: does, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I found it fascinating too that uh, Tiger McGrew here. He, yes, mm-hmm. he's a ladies' man. Yes, he's a player, but he's also married to like a smoking hot wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we see her on the beach. Or like, is it she on the beach? Or like, uh, I guess it's just on their street. I can't remember. But Right.
0: Um, I, I think on their, on their street, yeah.
1: Yeah. We think that she's just like another girl hitting on him, but she ends up being his wife and he's got a son. And it seems like a perfectly happy marriage. And again, if Gene Roddenberry was in something similar, I don't know, but he certainly could relate based on everything I read in research. Uh, yeah. And then the fact that this guy, you know, if you really pay attention to the movie and all the lessons he's teaching are like, about monogamy and how you know how can the human heart love you know just one person or getting married too young and stuff like that it's like so it's very interesting and very uh i don't want to say cool but like Again, I, I think it, you could watch this movie and not pay attention to that kind of stuff. But if you do, mm-hmm. you're like, he's clearly... Ju- I mean, the character's clearly justifying it. I wonder if Gene Roddenberry was also trying to justify what he was going through.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. That's. A, <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe not consciously, but I mean, because there is... Because again, I think there is a satirical point of view to this film, but... I, but I wonder if, if subconsciously there is a way of justifying this.
1: The more we talk about it, the more that I would love to see a movie about this movie. A showbiz thing, uh, like the cast and like just, again, Rock Hudson with this, the irony of being in this kind of film, Gene Roddenberry, what we, he was going through in his personal life, because like, it's so fascinating as well. Yeah,
0: yeah Absolutely.
1: Any other scenes uh you really wanted to talk about here?
0: um well, I love the scene when and again, you know as at how it's filmed, how it's presented the scene when Angie Dickinson's character invites over um Ponce de leon oh my when, you God, know, and Smith yeah. when she invites him over in the this sort of seduction scene well, basically it's two it's two different scenes, I think after it's, it's you know suggested that um by tiger that she, you know, befriend him.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> she invites him over to talk about his paper. And then immediately just there's, you know, it begins fairly innocently, but um she clearly is, is very, very comfortable around him and is, is in inviting that kind of behavior over time.
1: For sure. She even mentions at one point that he's quite good looking. Now yeah. she's not thinking like she says it kind of makes her uncomfortable to be with him because I think you know. At the end of the day, she's pretty. Uh, she has a pretty good heart here. She's not trying to seduce him, but she also obviously, like every character in this film, doesn't think uh, that student teacher sexual relationship is wrong. But she just got out of a complicated relationship. She's yeah. definitely more into Rock Hudson. You know, eventually he gives her the kind of the green light, though, and she genuinely feels like she's helping Ponce de Leon, which, which yeah. is amazing.
0: Yeah, she feels like she's kind of helping him with his situation, that, you know, she's helping him kind of mature and get through this certain time in his life.
4: Well, I'll walk home, I only live a few blocks. Please don't. I know I can't sleep now. Maybe if we danced until I became exhausted, then I could.
2: Yes, ma'am. I mean, that's probably a lot better than taking sleeping pills. Come here, Paul.
4: Parts. i'm sorry miss smith betty
0: he of course like immediately falls in love with her <laughs> and that isn't reciprocated but you know again she kind of you know looks at herself as as a mentor to him as a sort of sexual mentor to
1: him absolutely and i do think it's hilarious that like when they eventually do have sex and again i get it (laughs) you know it shouldn't happen in a modern 2020 setting or probably that setting as well but when they eventually do have sex he as you said falls in love with her he tells uh he tells tiger that he wants to marry her yeah eventually he gets over that as we see but Mm -hmm. it's uh it's just it's just i don't know it's interesting to watch and of course you know, I don't want to ignore here that a lot of the movie is exploitative in a sense that they are showing a lot of naked ladies. And I don't yes. think we get full frontal from her, but we see her in bed like that. And yeah, yeah, it's a, <laughs> again, I, I don't think they would have this shot today, but it certainly fit the film. She is a very pretty lady. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. But yeah, do you know I, how old she was when she shot this? I'm not sure. I I think late 30s. That seems like about 37
0: to right. 38,
1: by the way, 89 years old, still, still mm-hmm. hanging she's in still there.
0: Alive. Yeah. She's still alive. Yeah. She hasn't acted many years, but, um,
1: she was 40.
0: Yeah. She was just about 40. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. about 40.
1: Yeah. Um, this whole element here is interesting because again, the middle, the meat of this movie is not really murders. Yes. There's a cop. Yes. He's investigating. And I do want to kind of segue into the investigation as well, because for as, as many dated things as there are here and silly things. How about like the whole element of just kind of potentially pinning this murder on like the, one of the black students here?
3: Oh, yeah. And the
1: dialogue in class they were kind of having about police. I was like, whoa, like it's so, you know, it just felt so 2020. And I guess, you know, some, some things are timeless uh, and not for the better, obviously. But yeah, and of course, they were trying to make a statement with that there. But it's something that you'd see a movie today making a statement with.
0: Right. Yeah. And there, I mean, there are definitely yeah, some of those elements. I know later on when um, when Tiger is talking to the police chief, you know, they they casually you know, drop the N word. Yeah, and things like that, and it's, and again, and it's
1: not it's not played to be comedy. There, it's not played to be no, funny no, not there. at
0: all, not at all.
1: T- in today's lens, you definitely, you know, there's definitely a certain way I think everyone's watching and seeing it. But well, I think course. even at the time, people were probably like, "Oh, yeah, you know, you see what he's trying to do here." Yeah, and and I think it kind of lends, um, how can I put it? it it's kind of also an attempt to, for us to have sympathy for the tiger character because there's a point in the movie where he probably could pin it on the on the quarterback of his, who's, you know, a, a black student. And mm-hmm. he really defends him, essentially, he says he's a good kid and that he didn't, he probably didn't do it or whatever. Yeah. It, it It is interesting in that respect. Like, I don't, oh, I'll ask you, like, how are we supposed to view Tiger, do you think? That's interesting.
0: I mean, as it comes at the end, I mean, he's, his character is, I mean, I think it, I, I don't think it, it certainly doesn't justify any of his behavior. But there is a certain level of of sympathy here, and a way that we see him trying to trying to trying to deal with his behavior and obviously in a, in in the worst way possible. But we see his line of defense. We see we we see how he's trying to navigate the situation, of course, doing it doing it horribly. but we also see kind of how his reputation at the school is kind of giving him. A free pass in that in in a, in a certain sense, it's kind of giving him the idea that that he has this reputation that is worth killing for.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a that's a really great way to, way to put it. I think there's a lot of points in this movie, especially again. I think if you're in the '70s, again, and and I know even at the time, or at least I like to think that it was satire, but I think there's a lot of moments where you're like. Tiger's a pretty cool guy, you know. <laughs>
0: well, he, that's certainly how he depicts himself, and how he's how he's depicted, how his how what his reputation is like. But I don't think it necessarily defends his behavior no, in any
1: no, way uh, at of course all. Not. But
0: yeah, but we we see how much he is he's loved in the community, and kind of, and I think it's really it's about that every kind of community like that needs a Tiger McDrew, and I think that's how because at the end of the film Ponce is being kind of groomed as the next tiger and we see kind of the end where he kind of comes into himself and becomes the ladies man and is going after all the same girls that tiger was going after and so we kind of see him taking on that role
1: i was gonna say hopefully he doesn't become a murderer or anything hopefully
0: that that, doesn't evolve in that way of course yeah but but we see we see kind of him him kind of take that role at least at least the role that that Tiger had early on, you know, of course, and he, he turns the worst way possible to defend that role. But, you know, we see kind of, we see Ponce kind of take on that role at the end.
1: And speaking of the end, I was almost about to be disappointed because it looks like he essentially Mm -hmm. like feels bad about things. And I know we're bouncing all around, but it looks like he, he feels uh, sort of bad about things and like kills himself. And if it ended like that, I was going to be like, Oh, okay. Are they like justifying? Like, are we supposed to feel bad for him after this or whatever? But right. then, you know, you find out that him and his wife, who I guess, I don't know if she knew about it or whatever. But you find out that him and his wife, she kind of just headed headed to Brazil. So I was like, oh, OK, that makes a lot. Right.
0: Sense. Yeah. Yeah. You see the, the end because Telly Savalas sees a her flight plan to um, her, t- her plane ticket to Brazil and then kind of remarks. Marks casually at the end of like, oh, I'm gonna take a vacation to Brazil.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, like also like you notice like his wife isn't like doesn't seem upset at the funeral, no. and, and stuff like that. So, but I, I thought it kind of not saved it, but I thought it kind of um to so me, it makes it
0: more interesting. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes. In terms of like, maybe this was all part of his plan. Maybe he was grooming Ponce for this moment, not a moment in the f- far future or maybe he's doing it just cuz he got caught. Maybe this was always his plan it just got accelerated. Who knows?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, because his character is you know, is scheming in a way. He does have a lot of things planned out like that. You know, because backing up a little bit, things come to a head when Ponce discovers discovers a recording that was made of him having sex with one of his students and then kind of puts things together from there of what his role is in the in this murder case.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. I don't know. Like I I just found it kind of funny that we get that scene, right? And it seems like oh my god, this movie is probably going to be I don't know, somewhat of a chase or where there's going to be some heavy drama with with discovering that he's the murderer and and getting him caught. But then instead of that, and there's a little of that, but instead of that, we get a the this football game that they've been alluding to this entire time that they said they're going to cancel because of a murders or whatever. And, and it's a pretty long scene, considering the length of the film, of this football game being played. Yeah. I thought it was just such a funny juxtaposition. At the first I'm like, wow, this is really long. But once I kind of digested it, I loved it because it's so American, right? Like, you got to play the football game. You, you gotta, you know, this is the most important thing in the town. This is what's made him a celebrity. And it's almost like nothing will stop until this football game is played. I know before it, yeah. that like kind of podunk cop is murdered. He catches Tiger with a girl. The girl's right. murdered a, as well. Yeah, um, he
0: just does a one-two punch. Yeah.
1: Yeah, just, you know, leaves them kind of on the field. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird.
0: Right. One uh, detail that we, uh, that's probably worth bringing up is that all of the bodies are found with a note attached.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. I think the first one is like so long, honey. The cop has a note that says by chiefy.
1: Yeah. I didn't, I mean, I didn't really understand that note aspect of it. Like what was, was your a little
0: weird? I don't know what, the, yeah, because I mean, apparently that's a, a touch from tiger. It is. It's this kind of, I mean, it's kind of like twisting the mustache, kind of thing. Of like, you'll never get me, coppers, kind of thing. It doesn't really fit. I don't know what that's about. I mean, it was interesting. It was funny to me, but it was in a dark, very dark way. But, but that was interesting. I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure about that.
1: Yeah, me either. Because I, I didn't take. I know Tiger is obviously a killer, but I didn't take him as like a sadistic serial killer. I think he was just right. kind of trying to cover up his tracks and then one right. thing led to and another. If you,
0: and if you're trying to cover up your tracks, you wouldn't write handwrite a note. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So I was confused. So by, visually it's cool, especially in that first scene, visually it's like, you know, cool. But it's cool. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, no. I was a little confused. And I don't know that. if it's
0: supposed to. I don't know what the I don't know what the motivation was there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure either. Yeah. But, of of course, that ending scene that, you know, we talked about where he ends up, you know, faking his own death and on the pier or whatever, he admits to everything, to his protege, uh, to Ponce, so... You know, I found that interesting with what you said happens later because there's this whole funeral and you would think that would traumatize the kid. But no, he like after the funeral, he just he's a player. He's he tells one girl to go to his house at a certain time. Then he talks to another girl and it's like, my place or yours. And he's just he's gotten this confidence and he essentially becomes Tiger. And the the Osmond song plays again that like upbeat peppy, you know.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, it's a different take of the song. It's The first one's a little more subdued, and then this one is much peppier. Yes, yes. And it's just, you know, hey, everybody, come on, it's happy.
1: And you're like, wait, didn't a murder just occur? M- weren't we just watching? Yeah, several,
0: didn't several murders yes. occur? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> weren't, we, weren't we just at a funeral, like he, this is what he's doing? But again, right. I think if you take it as satire, and again, with that certain lens it does mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense that this would happen. If you take it from yeah. a realistic perspective, you're like what the hell is wrong with this guy?
0: Yeah, but it's not it's not quite realistic. It, like the no. The yeah, the the dialogue is is very exaggerated. There's an obvious satirical lens like with yeah, with everyone saying, "Well, what about the football game?" I mean, so everything about it is the the, the lens of it is very clear.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I uh again The more I think about this movie, the more I get it and I have fun with it. And I think it aged so much better than, how could I put it? Like, I think kind of what I've been saying this entire time is that like it's aged better than maybe it was when it came out in 1971. I think in 2020, ironically, a movie about a player guidance counselor who sleeps with his students and then murders them, I think is better in 2020. And I never thought I would say that. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think
0: I think time has been kinder to this film than others and I think it I think it's aged well in that respect and I think one thing they've said is that it's it's a film that was it was critically panned but a lot of filmmakers of the time really liked it and filmmakers later like like Tarantino. So it was it's and it, it is it definitely feels like that kind of film. Like the like people who are in the industry, people who are who just love film in general. Take take more of a liking to it. It is definitely that kind of film.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, was there anything else in terms of scenes or moments that you wanted to mention?
0: Um, I just love the moment when when Miss Smith and um, and uh, and Ponce have you know they finally consummate and they start making out and um, they they fall against that uh, chocolate liquor duck that he <laughs> brought her, and yes. <laughs> that moment is great. He brings her this sort of chocolate duck with like a, a fruited liqueur or something in it. And it's, it's
1: so 70s I love it.
0: It's yes something he picked up at a gift shop or something and then they fall against it and <laughs> it, it just breaks everywhere he just has this red stain on his on the on the rear of his pants. it's it's really funny. I just think that that kind of moment is just great.
1: Yeah, the the Miss Smith things with him, like there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, just when she she bathes him too. You yes.
0: Know? <laughs> oh, and the, the the oh god, the the grab the soap moment.
1: Oh god, yes, she grabs. Oh,
0: she... here's the yeah. Oh here. Oh, where's the soap? Here it is, and then he lifts up the bar of soap. Oh, god. <laughs> god <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Very silly stuff. Very, <laughs> very, yeah.
0: yeah, very silly. But but I think of the time it would be a little salacious. <gasps> oh my goodness! You know? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I'm just just going through my notes quickly. I, I forgot to mention this, but I feel like every time we have a podcast, we bring up Hermione's uh, Har- Bosch's The Garden of Earthly Delight. <laughs> yeah that's in her room like i read it in the imdb trivia and then i'm like, like wait a minute and they like that's what he's looking at when he's there i'm like what like why does this keep happening when i'm on podcast i have no data? idea
0: this is not by, this is not by design at all i was <laughs> yeah when i was when i saw that i was like oh, what is going on here and again these are a lot majority of these films i've picked without seeing them beforehand and <laughs> with, with the exception of society so yeah that's very funny <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah Another thing is like his trick for not having a boner anymore is uh, doing multiplication. That's another thing he likes to do.
0: Yes. Yeah. So he goes, he retreats into the closet and is doing multiplication tables. I feel like that's a, that's a trope that's been used before. Or we, we Certainly after. Kind of yes. R- right. Yes. Yeah. When you feel sexually nervous, yeah. To do, um, to resort to math.
1: And just again with Mrs. Smith or Miss Smith. I like or I thought it was funny how uh, Rock Hudson tells her that he has a sexual problem. She thinks it's like the opposite problem of what he has. And she Mm -hmm. considers it a win when he gets an erection. That's what she comes back to him. And it's like, no, that is his problem. You know, you have to solve. (laughs) <laughs> I, I love
0: Yes. And she's like, yeah, when she's very like congratulatory, like thinking that, oh, it was a it was an issue. You couldn't have erections and now you have one. It's like, no, 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 that's not the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really funny to me and then um i think it was interesting at the end when we when we finally see her and she's moved on to to another kind of kind of more more traditionally hunky guy who's sitting next to her at the funeral
1: yeah 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 exactly like that's something that was interesting too the miss smith character is very interesting like the whole arc
0: yes right it's interesting just like the way that people justify their behavior just like how she from the role of like an educator and thinking that she's, she's helping this person and that a uh, tiger feeling like he's, um, he has this privilege and that he, he's justified in do- going to these extremes to preserve it.
1: Yeah. Again, I, I'm just thinking of like, if, you're out there listening to this episode and you haven't seen the movie. You must think we're crazy right now with everything we're saying.
0: <laughs> which is which is also I think a theme in the films that I've selected.
1: <laughs> That's fair. That's true. I probably even said that on some of your other
0: episodes. Right, where it's like, yeah, you know, it, we're we're not making this up. This isn't something we <laughs> thought of. Like, yeah. Yeah, like definitely in like Society and Nowhere, we had to make that disclaimer more than once. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, anything else before we get to our awards?
0: Um, No, I think again, I think this is just a really, um a really interesting film. I'm, I love how this film has aged and, and it's, I think it's a film that is definitely worth checking out. I think it's a film that's been um kind of overlooked and definitely deserves some attention.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. Again, especially I think if you're into Tarantino, this is another film you have to watch.
0: Absolutely. If you like going Kind of deep dive in, into his kind of taste into the films that have influenced him. I think it's it's great fun looking at it from that lens.
1: All right. So first award, Wooderson Award. Is there a character here that you would have liked to have seen more of?
0: Hmm. I think I think any any of the quote unquote maids all kind of just got their one scene, and I think every I think every one of them could have been expanded more. I mean, of course, that wasn't the role they played, but I would have liked to have seen seen a little more of and again a lot of that has to do with the the time the film was made but i think a lot of them a lot of them definitely could have had could have been fleshed out more that we could have seen a lot of how those characters are reacting to this and how they respond in kind
1: yeah i 100 percent agree with that i definitely liked uh, amy Eccles and brenda sykes who you mentioned before But uh, some of the other ones as well. I think if you remade this today, which I don't know if you could, but maybe you could. You know, again, Tarantino could. But I think you could even put it more from their perspective here and kind of uh, even things out a little bit and and make it more of an ensemble thing. They were great. And yeah, so I 100% agree with that pick. Mm -hmm. Opposite question, Long Duck Dong Award. Is there any character you would eliminate? I thought when I like read the cast that it was going to be because of racial insensitivity but again this is one of the places where the movie for 1971 does pretty well but is there any other is there any other character you would eliminate here or it felt frivolous at least
0: no not really no there really was the the way that the the cast really fleshes out that the setting everyone really plays their part in that way
1: even like the lady who's like an administrator there like they carry her to try to like (laughs) at that one point like to Prove like that some uh, in the investigation and like her comments there. And you're so right. Like everyone in the background felt, I don't want to say necessarily like a real person because that's not what this movie is about, but they felt like they had something to them. They didn't feel just like an extra.
0: Yes. Yes. The very, the very mousy, panicked sort of secretary. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, yeah, that's, that's like a character that would have, like, if we remade this film, like that would have been played by like Kirsten Schall or someone like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great, uh, that's a great pin right there. Okay, and this is kind of an odd question for 71, and uh, Cameron Frye Award. was anyone too old to be a high schooler, just looked out of place?
0: Not necessarily, though for a second there was, I think there were a couple times when, when Ponce got, uh, got very low in his voice. Like, it, it, there was like a moment when, he's, when he <laughs> discovers the body and goes, oh, miss? <laughs> Miss, are you okay? And it was like, and, and that, that that to me was funny, but um other than that no.
1: I think yes, they are older, but I'm glad they are and they all look yes. around the same age and that's fine because especially the subject matter and again if everyone's like looking around the same age i have no problem with it no one like like Ponce didn't seem like a man you know no, <laughs> maybe no, in those lines no. here or there
0: yeah but uh, yeah but he has a very very clean cut boyish face you know he he was perfectly cast in that sense
1: and the girls look again i i know they're older just because of you know for legal reasons and that's good Absolutely. but yes. it they all look like they're kind of in the same wheelhouse here. It doesn't look like... Someone doesn't look like they're 35, for example.
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: All right. Uh, we we said it before. This got panned by the critics. Rotten Tomatoes, they don't have a lot of critical analysis, but the ones they do have... Again, 1971, there weren't that many critics either, so... Not as much, right? No, not as many, yeah. So this got 8% only by the critics. 8%. Ooh. Super low score. One of the lowest scores I've ever discussed here on High School Slumber Party. Oh
0: wow! Yeah, no, like like I said, yeah, uh, Roger Ebert hated it. He called it embarrassing. It was panned by the critics.
1: Yeah, but audience score. I'm not saying it's a good one, but forty nine percent. To me, that yeah. makes a lot more sense because yeah. I I could see people not liking it. And I could see people really liking it. You know, it depends on who you are, what you're into, for sure. Definitely. Definitely that makes more sense, like for it being a 50-50 movie with the people out there. Because again, Rotten Tomatoes, to be clear, it's not like you're grading on a star score. It's like positive reviews are, you know, thumbs up and negative reviews are thumbs down and they aggregate them. So this exactly. being a coin flip with a person makes total sense.
0: Absolutely. And and again, especially a lot of that is, is, is again, how Warner Brothers um, sold the film. And that, yes. again, you have no idea... What film you're signing up for So I could definitely see Especially at that time When everything was very much What you see is what you get And so to go to a film Thinking it's this kind of Cheery sex comedy And then you get a murder In the first uh, five minutes I mean yeah Of of course people would be put off by
1: that But you Galen You have the red pen I've handed you the report card We of course grade on A plus to F scale So I want to know What is your grade for Pretty Maids all in a row?
0: I give it a solid A. I thought this film was just incredibly enjoyable all the way through. I just, I love the visual style of it. I love the performances. So many memorable scenes. I think the the style of it is so pronounced from the beginning and carries all the way through. And again, like as you were saying, this film really holds up in that way and I think has aged well over time. I absolutely give it a solid A.
1: So when I stopped watching, I wrote down like a B... B+, and I thought that was a good grade. But as we're talking about it, and as I've thought about it more, Mm -hmm. I'm going to give this an A-, minus because, again, I I think it's a movie that is so influential. I love movies that influence people of today. I love seeing that in things. And did I have fun watching it? Yes, I did. Again, I wouldn't recommend this film to everybody. Certainly not, but I had a good time watching it, so that's why it gets a a high score for me. But if you out there don't like it, I totally get that as well. If it's not your cup of tea, totally Mm -hmm. understand. But like, maybe more important to me, I love talking about this film. I love sharing Mm -hmm. this film. I love the images of this film. I love the the way this film looks. Does it hit the mark on everything with me? No, but there's so many talking points of this film. It's not forgettable, I guess. It's funny because it was forgettable at the time, apparently, but today... Again, I just love mentioning this film to people. Like, oh, did you know Rock Hudson was in this thing? You know,
0: right? Written by Regine Roddenberry. I mean, it just, <laughs> there are many talking points in this film. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a film that even if you don't necessarily care for it, you can have a great conversation about it afterwards.
1: Absolutely. Um. So I, I just wanted to look at Letterboxd quickly because mm-hmm. I kind of consider that more like the, uh, uh, I don't know, like more of the snarky, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. uh, film nerd crowd on there. Oh, absolutely. And it it gets a 3.2 there compared to that 8% is not bad. Of all the ratings, like, let's see, almost nobody failed it. Like no, almost no one is giving it that terrible, terrible grade that the critics originally gave it. So, I mean, that that's a sign right there. I mean, again, it's, it's a fun film. I, I think, again, if you really like the films of Tarantino and that kind of stuff, you're going to enjoy this because it's definitely, definitely a, pred- a predecessor of what we see later. Absolutely. All right, we can go a lot of directions for this question, but Galen, you're at the slumber party with me. You have a pretty maids all in a row sleeping bag. What does it look like?
0: You know, I think I'm just going to go fairly, uh, I'm going to go fairly safe with this, and this is it's just going to have the... Um the sort of safe uh, decorum of the beginning of the film. And it's just going to have the Osmonds um, on the cover with a little breeze blowing the (laughs) the, the song being called chilly winds. So it'll be like Osmonds on the front uh, with trees blowing and then chilly winds below that, like right by the feet, you know?
1: I like it. I like it. I had two uh, kind of ideas for this one. I feel like I need to pick Bosch's garden or earthly delights as my sleeping bag. (laughs) But I figure the next movie we'll talk about will have it anyway, so I could save it for that one.
0: I know at this point, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like at this point there will be some kind of like Mandela effect in every film we talk about. We'll suddenly have <laughs> <laughs> the bot a Bosch painting in it somehow.
1: Yeah, like wait, every every film I watch for this podcast, eventually I'm like, what the. I didn't know that was in The Breakfast Club or something. Wait, what?
0: Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. That's the painting they're looking at in Ferris Bueller?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would be something. No, but I think I love fonts and I love 70s fonts. Yes. Um, So I'm just going to throw a little 70s font, uh, Pretty Maids all in a row on like, you know, uh, some of the colors from the film. I don't need an image. I just need like some of the colors from the film with a 70s font that says that on the front and. You know, call it a day.
0: The credit font was that yellow credit font. Was
1: yes, that's a good one.
0: Oh yeah, it, again, like that's like, like what you'd see on any kind of like a uh, pop music album of the time, like the Carpenters or things like that. It's very absolutely or the Osmonds. Cool. Yeah, or the Osmonds. Yeah, that very kind of floral font.
1: So, you and I were in this magical blockbuster.
0: Oh yes, my favorite. <laughs>
1: with every single film. That has ever existed mm-hmm. And we get to that counter We know we're watching Pretty Maids all in a row We're going to have yes. this slumber party oh, we, yeah. see a, we see a sign at the front and it says Rent two movies, get one free And I say, I'll stay by the counter, Galen Go to the back, pick two other movies Let's make it a triple header tonight what two other movies are you coming back to the counter with?
0: Man, I thought about this because, yeah, this is such an this is such an oddball film, and as we've discussed. And so I kind of have to go in kind of two different directions. So for my first one, I'm going to go, fittingly, way out of left field and um, pick another crazy, crazy star-studded film from the 60s, 60s, 70s A-M era that's also by um, a European-based filmmaker crazy crazy comedy uh, 1967's uh skidoo by Otto Preminger
1: skidoo I've never seen it
0: Skidoo. oh it's it's wild Groucho Marx plays a mobster named God that's all I have to say
1: oh my god <laughs> um,
0: and, and it's it's fantastic there's a there's a credit sequence where all the credits are sung it's it's great oh my
1: god <laughs> oh yeah. check oh, that
0: out oh it's great um and then go in and. a completely different direction a another com- coming-of-age film that has a strangely revealed uh, murder plot terry wygoff's film art school confidential
1: oh interesting
0: and, yeah that's another film where it's like suddenly there's like wait there's there's a murder in this like wh- where yeah. did this come from
1: i love that film i haven't seen it in a while
0: yeah but yeah that's an interesting one
1: awesome great picks uh definitely a fun film to talk about today oh yeah so galen where can people follow you find you or anything else you want to plug or something you're up to i mean there was a period for a while that you were on like two podcasts a week i feel like
0: (laughs) yes i i kind of made that my my focus over the good part of the quarantine um yeah did a few a few cage club pods and then some other really fun ones so i've 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 done a lot of things like that dropping around the same time i'm doing i, I was on a podcast called uh, camp nightmare a horror podcast where we talk all about horror anthologies and that was really fun. Those guys were great. And then actually just uh was in another horror anthology of myself called Death Sember. It's a holiday themed horror anthology. Ooh, and, interesting. Um yeah, very fun and um 24 different little short films. I'm one that in one that has kind of a giallo theme to it. It's a lot of fun. So yeah, ch- um, check that out. That's available for rent on Amazon right now. And you can follow me um, at Galen Howard on Instagram.
1: Awesome. I mean, definitely check that out. And uh, always a pleasure having you on, Galen.
0: Yeah, this is great, man.
1: So big thank you to Galen Howard for bringing us Pretty mates it's all in a row, and always bringing us fun, interesting, and weird films. I definitely want to check out the horror anthologies, and that sounds really fun. Uh, You know, he's really, really awesome, and I can't wait to the next time he's on High School Slumber Party. So homework for next week. Yes, that's right. Next week, we are ending something that we started all the way back in January, at least for this year. It's our first lap, our first go-around of a series we like to call Twilight Forever. That's right, Kate Hudson will be here. I'm actually recording with her after I... Ship this out to your ear holes. It's going to be fun. We're talking Breaking Dawn Part 2. I finally find out what happens at the end of the entire Twilight series. And I cannot wait. I guarantee it's fun. And if you're like, Twilight, that's dumb. That's for girls. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. They are silly, fun movies that you get into. Trust me, if you watch them all, you get into. And I was not a fan. I did not buy in. Kate Hudson, the great Kate Hudson convinced me to watch them, and I haven't looked back since. They are insane. I highly recommend listening back to all those other episodes, and I highly recommend listening to this trailer that I forgot to play.
2: I've had a bad habit of underestimating you. Every obstacle you face. I think you couldn't overcome it. You just did. I didn't expect
4: you to seem so... you?
3: My time as a human was over. But I never felt more alive. I thought we would be safe forever. But forever isn't as long as I'd hoped.
4: I have to report a crime. The collins they've done something...
2: Terrible. Voltori well, thinks Renez May an immortal child.
4: She was born, not bitten. She grows every single day. Oh my.
2: Creating an immortal child has long been outlawed. And is met with the severest form of punishment. Death.
4: What is it, Alice? Right.
3: They're coming for us.
2: Enough people knew the truth. Maybe we could convince the Volturi to listen.
3: Our search began, looking for vampires in the most remote corners of the
2: world. My family's in danger. I need your help.
3: Each with their own gift.
1: You, an amazing woman. We'll join you. The packs will fight
3: afraid of vampires.
1: end of the twilight saga is near check it out monday cagelove.me or wherever you get your podcast kate hudson i cannot wait i am so excited but (sighs) it looks like it's time for me to crawl up into that sleeping bag and go to bed so let me leave you with the song i opened up with chilly winds by the osmonds one more time just like the movie thank you so much as always for listening can't wait for you to hear our Twilight episode. Once again, thank you, Galen. Salute our healthcare heroes. And remember, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you can miss it. Later, dudes!
3: Chilly winds may blow, chilly winds they come, they go. Chilly winds may blow, oh, and I don't know. Chilly winds may blow, chilly winds they come and they go, chilly winds may blow, oh.